often vulgar, always explicit, and sometimes funny. Slap box. Slap box. Welcome to the Slapbox Podcast. This is episode 482. I'm your host, Josh Albrecht. Sitting inside the Slapbox penthouse once again. As I should probably not play loud guitar right before doing a podcast because uh, my hearing kind of sucks. I had the, the cans on, the headphones. Now i got to like turn the volume up in my headset because I'm like partially deaf. After rocking a little bit of the tool, Mr. Adam Jones, on my guitar, the Les Paul, that is. Not the Adam Jones signature, because he still is not released. The USA run of that guitar. Unfortunately, I'm rocked, still rocking the Epiphone Les Paul. That Epi. Semi-hollow body. It's fun stuff, though. Fun stuff. May not be a Gibson, but hey, my cre- credit card, they just upped the limit on it, so I've got uh, <laughs> plenty of room to throw a guitar on there without maxing it out. And then I just had to find a way to pay the minimum payment a month, right? So that, uh, that that's good. That's good. And and maybe a, maybe an emergency buy of something I really need. Make that happen. They upped it like, an, like I've got, uh, after they upped it, I've got like 10 grand worth of room in there. So that'd be a horrible idea if I... Spent all that though, because that's gonna like increase my monthly payment a lot on my credit card. Not needless to say, I'll never pay it off if I do that. <laughs> so we'll see. But you know, it could be a fun night if I just max out my credit card. It could be exciting the next day and the next you know seventy years of my life after I pay it off may not be so fun. But yeah, that's future Josh's problem, not current present day Josh's problem. So, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy in the future. <laughs> uh, I should should probably not be thinking like that. I mean, the bank right now, I I'm just gonna say it. Fuck U.S. Bank. They've really fucked up this home home mortgage for me. I I wish that I would have gone through somebody else than U.S. Bank, which I currently you know I've done my banking with for years at this point, and. Uh, haven't really had a whole lot of problems with them. They're like, I'll tell you what, they're really good at detecting fraud on my account and like letting me know, and I'm able to uh, get that all uh, straightened out fairly quickly. But I wouldn't really go to them for another personal loan or home loan. That seems like a huge pain in the ass. When I uh, initially got the loan, I mean the the loan officer, I talked to him on the phone maybe twice. And uh, all of his emails to me were all automatically generated. He never responded to emails, text messages, or phone calls, really. Except for maybe once or twice sort of situations. I don't know how I was able to actually finally get a loan. <laughs> it was a miracle. My, uh, I'm sure I probably talked about this when I first got the uh, penthouse, but the realtor, on the other hand, she works for Caldwell Banker, Marcy... Deriba Kyle, I believe is uh, her uh, full name with the hyphenated there. Uh, she was awesome on it. She was, if you uh, are buying a house anywhere in, say, you know, 
Uh, I believe she sells up in St. Louis. I mean, here in Franklin County. She's got a, a nice little area there. So anywhere within that, you know, I guess the several counties around here, like she'll uh, she'll hook you up there. But uh, <clears throat> the bank was uh, the bank was not as cool as Marcy was. Um, <laughs> and what I was getting to was they fucked up uh, like three days before my loan, before I I finalized everything by you know signing my my life away by writing my John Hancock on, you know, 40 different pages to uh, <laughs> make sure that I would be in debt the remainder of my life. Um, like three days before that, I want to say, the bank had screwed up on putting the escrow together, the amount on the escrow. Now, initially, somehow they had the numbers right, and then... Right as I'm getting ready to sign these papers and everything, they uh they made the mistake. See, I bought the penthouse is actually a townhouse. It's uh, one of ten units in this townhouse connection. I don't know what you want to call the the group of townhouses, but uh, there's probably a word for that. I'm unaware of it at the moment. Um, but I bought one single unit. Of the ten units there are here in the townhouse there on uh, Birchwood Court. And I was the first individual to buy a single unit as a LLC owned all ten units prior to me purchasing this penthouse. And uh, because of that, the last time someone paid taxes on it, they paid for all ten units, not one individual unit. So the taxes were paid for, again, all 10 units, which is a lot more than one single individual unit would have to pay. Um, (laughs) And, again, it was like three days or so before I was to sign off on the paperwork. We were, like, I thought everything was good. We were golden and everything. And then a few days prior to me getting the uh, final paperwork and everything, I get this email to me I guess it was and my monthly payment went from $916 a month to over two grand it was like something around the range of two about $2,100 worth per month like that is uh more than double (laughs) and I get to be honest I uh cannot afford (laughs) I can barely afford rather my current mortgage payment with all my other bills, as, of course, I've <laughs> jokingly talked about my credit card uh, debt at the beginning here. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to max that out. It's kind of a joke, kind of. kind, of, But, you know, it might be fun. Uh, but anyway, um, I can barely afford the the uh, mortgage payment at 916 Sure as shit can't afford it at $2,100. Uh, <laughs> There's no way I can pay all the taxes for all 10 units. Uh, I just can't afford that, especially if that's going to drive my payment that much uh, further up. That's a bit insane. And unfortunately, the bank has not been any bit of help. They were able to somehow get the taxes straightened out uh, and the escrow by the day I actually signed the papers. I mean, leading up to that day, I just wasn't sure if they were going to be able to do it. I thought, well, fuck, if this doesn't work, I guess I'm not getting a, buying a place. I guess I'll uh, 
I'll camp out at the Muffin Man's. I didn't know what I was going to do, but uh, <laughs> I'd find some other place to live. Maybe, uh, you know, get a refrigerator box. And uh, seeing what inflation is now, perhaps that would have been a better uh, option for me. I could have saved a little bit of money here. Like 2100 a month. <laughs> <laughs> as, as they're wanting to charge me now. But, uh, so they actually got the, the taxes right and the escrow in the uh, paperwork when I signed it the day of, I got the right stuff. I was like, maybe the night before they got it to me. I'm not sure when it was, but they got it straightened out, got it back to the reasonable amount that it really should have been from the get-go, and then... uh <laughs> They gave me the loan. They let uh, signed off on it. We're all good to go. Should have been a done deal. Should have been in the can. Should have been right. And then about a month ago, <laughs> maybe a little bit more, I get a letter in the mail from the bank saying that I needed to pay them like two or three thousand dollars right up front because I was not. I didn't have basically. I didn't have the taxes paid. Now I was going to fall short from paying taxes on the uh, one single individual townhouse. And uh, I was going to have to do like $3,000, and then my payments were going to jump up to 2100 basically a month. Uh, I think it was slightly under 2100 But, uh, you know, I'm getting a real deal there. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I wasn't too happy about that. Now I've been calling the bank, and... Uh, the first time I called the bank over it since getting that letter, they said it was a problem with the taxes, so obviously I needed to contact that it's not the bank's fault. Um, so I had to contact the assessor of Franklin County. Did that. They had it right. Fun fact, they had the taxes right. They had fixed it. <laughs> For some reason, U.S. Bank can't get on the fucking ball. And... Uh, <laughs> So I, after getting in touch with the assessor, she, uh, the woman there uh, gave me an email. She was really cool. Gave me an email with the proper amount of taxes and everything in the email. Uh, all all the jazz. She gave me some jazz hands uh, <laughs> while she was doing it and was super cool about it. And then uh, I have then, of course, had to wait on hold and get transferred from department to department at U.S. Bank. As I try to get this all straightened out, thought maybe I had it straightened out, but the, I was told it was going to take like 10 business days to straighten this out. Which to me, if you've got all the tax information right, you got it all there, shouldn't it just be a matter of putting it into the system? Call me crazy. I don't know if they've got to like sacrifice a goat and then wait 10 days. Um,. I'm not sure how that works, but for some reason, even though the taxes are right in the tax office, the bank, I mean, they got to do some magical shit to get this stuff right at U.S. Bank. They're, I don't know, using uh, the Pony Express to mail some shit to each other, and uh, they're going back in time to use it because Pony Express is gone. They're doing some crazy shit over there just to get this my payments correct. And then, of course, like a week goes by, week and a half, two weeks, whatever it is, I don't hear back from the bank. I get some letter in the mail saying it was right, that I guess it was hard to understand the, the letter, but that the payment should be like $2,100, or 
which I knew was bullshit. <laughs> so then I call and contact the bank again. I th- don't think they still have it straightened out. Told me it could take like the 23rd. I, I don't know. I called them like several times now. And they've actually changed. If you go online, if I jump on U.S. Bank's online banking stuff, and look at my mortgage pay- it, payment. It is now <laughs> over $2,000 a month, and it's automatically withdrawn. So I guess if the first comes around, I have to immediately take it off automatic payment because I can't pay that. <laughs> so th- I'm ecstatic. So, so happy that I went through U.S. Bank. The real thing was it was just laziness why I didn't like shop around to see who I could get like a better loan from. And uh you know I I'm paying that price over and over again. And uh so that that's fun. That's exciting. Uh <laughs> I I sincerely hope that uh they finish sacrificing whatever every animal or kind of seance they got to do. I'm not sure what it has to happen to fix this problem that the tax, <laughs> the assessor has determined exactly how much taxes need to be done. And, but somehow there's some kind of magic that they have to do at us bank. There is some very complicated procedure that you need to do to be able to fix this. And I, I just don't know why it's so difficult. It's, I mean, it must be like the most complicated thing ever. I mean, rocket science, science has to be a breeze compared to this brain surgery, whatever. Try uh, fixing a home mortgage loan. Huh? The numbers in the bank, right? Yeah. Try to fix an escrow. Complicated stuff. Complicated. Fun fact, too, I am uh, actually drinking a winter edition Red Bull. Not a sponsor, but it's the uh, pomegranate flavored. And I got to say, normally pomegranate flavored stuff, I'm a big fan of. This Red Bull, however, one of the worst Red Bulls I've ever had. <laughs> I feel like maybe I just got a bad one, too. It doesn't seem like it's that carbonated. Like, I don't know. It's just not much of a flavor. At first, I was like, is this even... I was like, did I get the sugar-free one? What the fuck did I do here? This is like... Uh, it just doesn't taste right. It is, uh, But there's definitely real sugar in here. It does say on the back, Red Bull, the winter edition. The taste of pomegranate, artificially flavored. The wings of Red Bull. Red Bull is appreciated worldwide by top athletes, busy professionals, college students, and travelers on long journeys. I gotta say, this shit's horrible for you. <laughs> Again, not a sponsor. <laughs> this shit is super horrible for you. And I, there for a while, I went quite a long period of time where I'd quit drinking energy drinks. Now, in my 20s, when I used to uh, drink the alcohol, you know, like binge drink every weekend pretty much, I'd really rock out on Saturday nights, man. I would, uh, I'd hit the Red Bull pretty hard. Now, uh, I would <laughs> do a lot of Jaeger bombs, and then uh, sometimes I'd also throw in a Red Bull and vodka or two. And it would get me through the night, you know. I never did Coke, and I, I didn't want to get that bad of a habit going on. So I, to get the party going, I would just get jacked on energy drinks so I could drink all night. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, I went to school at the broadcast center. 
and continued to work full time uh, while doing so. And uh, then it became a matter of keeping myself alive in the short term by putting something in my body that's a good chance going to shave years off of my life at the end. <laughs> uh, now, I'm not saying I'm not a scientist. I haven't researched this, but I know this shit's not good for me. I can tell it does some crazy stuff to my body when I do a lot of energy drinks. It's just not pleasant. Uh, my seems like my body has a hard time uh, filtering it out. <laughs> um, that might also have to do with the alcohol consumption I did in, say, my late 20s, early 30s. <laughs> there may be something to do with that. You know, maybe a liver situation. Not not real sure, but... Uh, or the fact that I'm just 40. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, I this stuff did save my life, though, while I was going to school at the broadcast center. I remember... I would work sometimes 10 hours a day, then drive an hour, because at the time it was uh, there on Hampton Avenue in uh, the St. Louis area there. And it, it was a good hour drive. Sometimes you'd have to wait like 15, 20 minutes too once you got to Hampton, because they'd always close it down to like one fucking lane, because there was constantly water mains breaking. Like, uh, they had apparently some infrastructure problems. And... <laughs> If it was shut down to one lane, you were going to be waiting on Hampton Avenue for a long time. And it was only really, I don't even think it was a mile down the road once I got off to Hampton there. Point being, though, I don't uh, do well in long-distance driving. Um, <clears throat> when I haven't had a whole lot of sleep, and back then I was sleeping like one, two hours of sleep each night uh, until like maybe Saturday night hit. Then I was able to get a little bit more. <laughs> and... uh I would always hit the Red Bull, like, on about the halfway point there. I would hit a Red Bull and uh, get me jacked. So I I would not crash my car because dozing off while driving again. Real problem. Real problem. So in a way, I guess Red, Red Bull saved me. Is also, I've <laughs> I haven't had a whole lot of sleep as of uh, in the last 24 hours. So uh, I had to hit some Red Bull today. To, to get it going, keep me up and alert. Unfortunately, uh, I'm actually recording this on a Friday night. Uh, originally, I was going to do it on Friday night anyway because uh, going over to the Jackman's house uh, where the old Slapbox Bunker is located for a board game night, the game night, and because uh, his birthday was uh, Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday. Do the math. Yeah, I think that's Wednesday. <laughs> I think the 10th was Wednesday. Anyway, <laughs> so going over there tomorrow night when I would normally record the podcast, so I was going to do it anyway tonight, although I was planning on doing it like right after work, but the situation with the scooter return, <laughs> and then uh, unfortunately there's a funeral going on tomorrow of uh, my Aunt Laura, unfortunately, passed away, so there's, you know... The schedule is a little off, so I haven't gotten a lot of sleep. Red Bull, I guess, is saving me for the podcast. Maybe not my life. I don't think my life depends on whether or not I get a podcast up every week. I feel like <laughs> there was one week where we definitely missed one because of uh, me being in a foreign country, which I guess every time I've gone to a foreign country, we've skipped one, uh, except for there was the one time where I'd missed two Saturdays from being overseas. We were 
Shelley was supposed to do two and then did one and didn't do the other. So we did miss a weekend there and it di- it didn't kill me. Didn't kill me. Fun fact. So I <laughs> I don't think Red Bull saved my life tonight. But it is making me way more alert and being able to converse better with myself. It's <laughs> You know, I don't know that this is doing me a whole lot of favors doing this podcast by myself all the time. I feel like this could be hurting my social skills, perhaps. It's a weird situation, just talking into a microphone by yourself for like an hour and keeping the conversation going. But here I am. Here I am. I remember uh, when I went to the broadcast center and uh, I would see stuff about and I because before I went to the broadcast center I didn't really think a whole lot about radio I mean I, I listen to radio and stuff and I always admire people with really good voices the broadcaster broadcaster's voice talking with this and enunciating and you know just sounding really professional I always you know I've always loved movies and shit too so but I'd never really thought about the act of say doing a one-man radio show and having to talk for an hour or more on end by yourself. And I didn't quite respect it like I do now, I guess. But when I went to the broadcast center and I really got to meet people that did this shit and would talk for hours on end, like it was... I was like, holy shit, how do you fucking do that? Not that I do a good job of it now, but it's I'm, it's pretty amazing that I, I do it now, like every week, at least for an hour. <laughs> it It is, uh, I guess I've improved. I know when I first started doing it there at the broadcast center, I mean, I'd go into a booth and talk, but it would be at the most like 15, 20 minutes. And then, uh, but it was kind of stuff. I would pre uh, go over uh, stuff, like uh, do some show prep and look, read over some news stories. Sometimes I'd read news stories while I was in there. And uh, I would also get to uh, play music in between like I was on an actual radio station. So really you're only talking in those 15 minutes or whatever the fuck you're in there for. You're only recording yourself talking for maybe six, seven minutes. (laughs) But then I think that might have been harder for me though because... (laughs) It really, for some reason, there. I, I'm pretty sure I've got OCD, at least a small form of it, though I've never been diagnosed. I don't feel like I need to get diagnosed with it. I just, you know, really weird about certain shit. And uh, when the, you go to the broadcast center, like they really want you to hit your time right on everything. Because when you go into radio, you go to like co- commercials. Uh, the people that pay for commercials, your advertisers, when they pay for a commercial, they're usually paying for a 10-second spot, a 30-second spot, or a 60-second spot. And they want you to hit that. They want you to get 10 seconds. They want the 30 seconds or the 60 seconds. you got to get it just right. So they feel like, you know, they got what they paid for. And not only that, but... When, again, you're on radio, there's, if you're on a show, you have your own show. We'll just say that. You've got your own radio show. It's a talk radio show. Maybe there's a little bit of music involved. Maybe you're an early morning radio show. You got music. 
Well, you might, once your show's over, it could go to a live program or some something on the satellite to where it has to hit right at that time. And also at the be- top of the hour, so like we'll say 6 o'clock, right at 6 o'clock it hits, you're supposed to give your station, station identification, which is your uh, call letters, plus the uh, city in which you're uh, licensed to broadcast is in. So, uh, like the point, uh, maybe it's not anymore, but it, it used to be a, a KPNT St. Genevieve. It's still KPNT, but I'm not sure if St. Genevieve is where they're actually licensed from. But, uh, and then uh, you get that. There's some uh, FCC regulation about having to do that. They give you a little bit of leeway. There's like a minute or two. But point is, <laughs> they really drill it into your head. You got to hit your times. And... Uh, that really messed with me because you, ha- when uh, I would go into the booth, and I'd be doing a radio show at the at the school, um, you had a log of uh, your songs, what songs you're gonna play, and it gave you a breakdown of how much time that you had to talk in between your in, with your segments, and you'd have uh, songs with like a instrumental at the beginning in the intro that you'd uh, slowly pot up to where you turn the sound up because you're going to talk at the beginning when there's no uh, lyrics going on. And you you were supposed to nail, <laughs> you're like 10 seconds, you got 6 seconds or 10 seconds to say something. <laughs> and you got to say it and then pot the music right back up, right you know, make it sound tight to where it was like nobody realizes that you really turned down the volume of the music and turning it up. Because you're just using it as a music bed to sound exciting while you're talking. And for some reason, like, doing all that really... (laughs) I didn't get it out of my uh, head. Like, there was... I was more focused on the time part than I was, like, the talking and being free with talking when I just start talking openly and everything. I start being way too concerned about pausing for too long. (laughs) And I feel like I have to constantly have something going, although it's much easier to do uh, whenever I did have a music bed, so I didn't feel like um, it was too bad if I paused for too long. Uh, But uh, dead air is one thing that freaked me out, plus the time factor. And I always felt like I had to say something so important <laughs> in these 10 seconds, something that's just going to keep people's attention so they don't turn the radio station dial and that they're not listening, you know, because if they turn that station, they're not listening to your ads, you're not getting paid. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, that's like the thing that was really drilled into my head. And to be able to go from like panicking over this time issue to now talking for an hour is just... uh. It it's pretty crazy to think about that uh, I can go on. Maybe maybe it's entertaining. Maybe it's not. Sometimes it's better than others. I know that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not rocking the internet. I'm not WTF with Mark Marin here. I don't have millions of downloads or anything like that. It's uh, pretty modest. But apparently, there's se- uh, several people, I guess, that listen on a regular basis and. Uh, that's what keeps me going. I feel like uh, I owe it to uh, the audience to keep going. But uh, I don't know. It's it's 
so uh i guess what what a point i'm getting to is that you know you put enough hours in to do something that was i was really petrified early on doing the whole stuff just getting on a microphone and even when it was at the school like after when i worked at like after the school i worked at a radio station was live and i knew people were listening that was pretty fucking scary but it was still even scary like early on at the school going in to a booth by myself no one could hear me on the initial ones when i would first go in with a microphone recording straight into a computer and uh of course after i was done instructors would listen to it and give me critiques and tell me what i needed to work on but man that was <laughs> that was really nerve-wracking like being in there and just like huh yeah i would even like look up shit to talk about i would go like okay what's going on in the world what's uh what's going on in sports what's uh what's something funny to find to talk about there's is there a rape axe situation uh one guy one jar i never talked about that on the air i wasn't brave enough to do that at that point well i felt i just wanted to pass i didn't want to, <laughs> i didn't want to get too crazy and be myself too much um had i known i was gonna be podcasting uh, maybe I would have been gone a little bit more all out because I figured I was going to have to go on a radio station, which maybe I should have kept going more towards that and staying in that route so I could actually get paid for this. Um, you know, but I'm I'm good with bad decisions. I've, I've made a lot of... I've uh, come to terms with that. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I've definitely improved for the fact that I'm not nervous doing this, that's for sure. This just seems like breathing to me now, like talking into a mic. It just feels so natural. But uh, although, I got to tell you, doesn't matter how many times you listen to your your voice, it's still, it can still be really annoying to listen to your own voice. <laughs> Going back and listening to the recordings, it gets easier, I guess, but there's still an annoyance factor. I'll pick up on all my fucked up things like how I uh, when I have a dry mouth and everything and just different sounds I make that I really fucking annoy myself with and f- just thinking about it I, I gotta take a drink of this Red Bull I gotta make that happen just so I can get a little audio and be kind of annoying mm, Red Bull still not a sponsor <laughs> uh, I did just uh, also right before uh Recording this tonight, I finished Narcos Mexico season three. It was good. I enjoyed the. Uh, of course, I was talked about this last week, I believe. But Narcos with Pedro Pascal. Love me some Pedro Pascal. Din Djarin from Mandalorian. That's who that is, motherfucker. He's also a great character on uh, Game of Thrones before it went to shit. <laughs> And uh, he's just a fine actor. Love me some Pedro Pascal. He was in the original Narcos. Um, season three of uh, Narcos Mexico, though. Pretty solid. Pretty solid stuff. I just wish we could see more of El Chapo Guzman's rise to power. Unfortunately, you get a little bit of it. You get a little bit of it. You see him become more of a boss. El Jefe. And, uh, unfortunately, though, it pretty much ends with him starting to take the reins and be more of a big-time el jefe. 
And from what I understand, from what I've read, this is the final season of Narcos, whether it be Narcos or Nar- Narcos Mexico. Because um, <laughs> at the end of the day, I guess they are just kind of recycling the same storyline, even though this, I mean, this is based on real characters. And uh, drug kingpins uh, continue to uh, flourish as the uh, war on drugs still not going great. Still pretty fucking horrible. Drugs keep winning. Um, no matter how many cartel bosses you take down, get thrown in prison, get murdered, another one pops up. There's just way too much money involved here. We got to get our cocaine from somebody, huh? And uh, heroin. I don't know why I said it like that, but... <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's a good show, though, and I like, uh, there's the, uh, story, which I didn't know anything about, the only, I guess, cartel boss I knew anything about before seeing any of Narcos was, uh, Pablo Escobar, which, uh, I don't know that anybody alive is probably, at this point, not heard of Pablo Escobar, I'm sure there's plenty of people that don't, but if you've ever heard of a drug lord, you've probably heard of Pablo Escobar. When they famously took him down, when they shot him on the the rooftops of, uh, I don't remember if it was actually in Medellin, where he's from, or uh, where where they got him at, but uh, the the DEA hunted him down, killed him. But uh, <clears throat> that would be the only, uh, I guess, drug lord I was familiar with. Oh well, up until El Chapo, because uh, I mean he's all over the fucking news in the last I don't know ten years or so. I had heard of El Chapo Guzman. Uh, but it, it did this new, well, I guess the all of the uh, Narcos Mexico um, <laughs> did uh, have the character Amaro. Uh, shit. Uh, <laughs> but the, like this season is basically, okay, so there's uh, Felix Gallardo, um was like the first two seasons, I guess it was, of Narcos Mexico, Mexico uh, where uh, Diego Luna uh, played him, the uh, Felix Gallardo, uh, in the first two seasons. He was like, he like made a big like uh, conglomerate, basically, of uh, drug cartels. He uh, connected them up in Mexico and uh, really, uh, I guess, revolutionized the drug world in a lot of ways in Mexico at least and then uh, you get to see Amado Carrillo Fuentes in the uh, first two seasons there of uh, the, the Mexico one and he's he's a cool character I don't know that in real life Amado was quite so cool we uh, apparently it's hard to find out any uh, real concrete evidence to state what what kind of guy Amato was other than, you know, a kingpin, a drug drug kingpin that would, you know, uh is believed to have executed like four hundred people. Or, you know, not personally on all those, but uh paid for, you know, made people kill, whatever you <laughs> wanna say. Uh but it's really interesting, like uh He's, like, in the show, he's a very likable character, even though he's, uh, he's does despicable, horrible things, like, to finally take over and become the El Jefe in his cartel in there, Juarez. He, uh, he kills his friend and also a boss, his El Jefe, murders him so he can take the spot. 
and uh, he uh, ends up in uh, again. This stuff is, I guess, hard to really determine, but uh, he's one of the most wealthiest cartel bosses of all time. And uh, you know, I'm gonna pull this fucking article up. There's a article I found, and it was stating what. I guess the net worth at the height of their power of uh, these uh, drug um, bosses, <laughs> cartel, kingpins. See, uh, El Chapo is pretty high up there. Um, do do do. Here we go. This is on worthly.com, the 10 richest drug lords ever. And uh, number 10 is Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. Uh, Lore. Uh, net worth of one bit. Oh, no. It is. Uh, do, do, do. No. The other one I saw uh, had him at a lot more money. Is that. El Chapo or is that like El Chapo's what? That might be El Chapo's wife. Wait a minute. Do do. Um, shit, I thought El Chapo was more. Oh no, I guess not. I guess not. Uh, the the worth here is. Yeah, yeah. So El Chapo. I don't know why there's this picture of this woman here. That's not El Chapo. <laughs> uh, without reading the whole article, I don't know what's going on. There's a picture of El Chapo getting arrested by uh, the Mexican uh, army, I guess, is what's going on there. But uh, <clears throat> he just does not look like a billionaire. Uh sees here. Uh, yeah, his net worth is $1 billion here. Joaquin El Chapo Guzman Loera. Uh, I guess that's how you pronounce that name. Uh, the, the last name, I forgot how you pronounce it. Anyway, he's a Mexican drug lord who is in charge of the Sinaloa cartel and is considered to be the most powerful and notorious drug lord in the world today. Known as El Chapo, Joaquin's cartel primarily concerns themselves with the trade of cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, and ecstasy, which are largely shipped to the U.S. for sale. It's been estimated to be worth some $1 billion, known for his various prison escapes. El Chapo has been arrested and locked up a few times, but has escaped each time, most recently in July of this year. He tunneled out of maximum security prison in Mexico and is still at large today. This is an old article because... Spoiler alert, El Chapo is not at large today. Um, it does not say when the posted this. Um, but it clearly it was a few years ago because El Chapo's been in uh, maximum, like beyond maximum security prison here in the United States now for several years, I guess. It's been, but uh, <laughs> yeah, not, not up to date. Um, and uh, number nine here, Griselda Blanco. Uh, it's, uh, a.k.a. the Black Widow, uh, a.k.a. the Cocaine Godmother. She had an estimated net worth of $2 billion. Griselda is a member of the notorious Medellin Cartel and was involved with the cartel during the most powerful years. During the 70s and the 80s, Griselda primarily worked in New York and Miami, helped with the cocaine shipments that ended up in the U.S., estimated that her operations in the U.S. at their height brought in some $80 million in revenue each month. However, Griselda became increasingly violent and paranoid over the years like many drug lords. 
drug lady <laughs> question uh and was eventually arrested yet the case fell apart she then fled to colombia where she laid low before she was eventually killed in a drive-by assassination in medellin colombia 2012 that's fairly recent considering she was uh heading shit up in the 90s there well i mean shit in the 70s and 80s they're talking about uh Carlos Leder was uh, worth $2.7 billion. He was uh, another co-founder of the Medellin cartel. Uh, oh, here we go. Gilberto, Gilberto and Miguel Orejuela, uh, net worth of $3 billion. And these guys are big players in uh, Narcos because they are the leaders of the Cali cartel. They're a drug cartel from Colombia, which they were the rivals to the Medellin cartel. Uh, but uh, Pacho is uh, one of the great characters of that show. He's uh, one of the leaders of the Cali Cartel. Um, Pacho's on this list. But uh, there's uh, number six here, Jose Gonzalo Rodriguez Gacha. Jose Gonzalo Rodriguez Gacha was a drug lord from Colombia. There seems to be a pattern here. And one of the chief leaders of the Medellin Cartel. Um Working alongside his friends and fellow associates, Pablo Escobar, the Ochoa brothers, and Carlos Leder. Uh, five billion. Jesus, man. I am in the wrong business. Uh, oh, here's a... Oh, this one. Is this the right one? Um, feel like I read a different article earlier. Anyway, number five, Kunsa, net worth of five billion. Kunsa was a Shan military leader and drug lord who was also known as the Opium King. Kunsa grew to prominence during the 60s when he fled to Burma. During the end of the Chinese Civil War, he began to organize a small militia group of fighters, which eventually grew into an army that fought for the Shan uh, state. Eventually, he got involved in the opium and eventually the heroin trade as he oversaw the production and transportation of these drugs within Southeast Asia. Kun Sa was eventually indicted in the U.S. or by the U.S. for his drug operation, then surrendered to the Burmese government in hopes that he would not be extradited to the U.S. He was then never really locked up and lived out the remainder of his life in Rangoon. That's, uh, that worked out for him, apparently. Number four, uh, the Ochoa brothers, which was mentioned earlier. Of course, that's another, there are three brothers that were co-founders and members of the Medellin Cartel. So basically anybody that was there in the early days of the Medellin cartel, fucking insanely rich. It's like, you know, Steve Wozniak, you know, starting out with Apple. It's like Woz and, and, and Jobs, man. Fucking killing it with the net worth. And and then you have like Cali, the Cali cartel would be like Microsoft with your Bill Gates and uh, Paul Allen. It's kind of like that. Although maybe it's the vice versa. Maybe you got... <laughs> maybe the Cali car- cartel is more like Apple. You know, I bet that's probably more like where... Windows... You know, Microsoft and Windows probably more like... More like... Uh, yeah. <laughs> more like Pablo Escobar and the Medellin. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, <clears throat> Bill Gates has had some associations with Jeffrey Epstein. So there's that. So maybe he's... I don't know. That, that might make him more like Pablo. We'll say that. Pablo was an evil bastard. Well, I imagine everybody on this list here is probably an evil, evil fuck. Um, <clears throat> number three, though, Dawood Ibrahim 
Kaskar, net worth of $6.7 billion. Dawood Ibrahim Kaskar is an Indian crime and drug lord who leads the notorious D-Company syndicate in India. Dawood's organization oversees everything from assassinations to drug trafficking and is believed to be responsible for the 93 Mumbai bombings and he uh, is known to be a close associate with Al-Qaeda and even Osama bin Laden when he was alive. It is estimated that Dawood is worth around $6.7 billion. He is currently one of the most wanted criminals. Current whereabouts are unknown, but it is believed he may be residing in Pakistan or the United Arab Emirates. Again, old article. I don't know. He might still be missing. <laughs> then number two, the big boss, the El Jefe of Narcos, season three, uh, Narcos Mexico season three, that is, Amado Carrillo Fuentes. His net worth at the height of his drug empire, $25 billion. That's quarter of a hundred billion dollars. That's fucking insane, man. That's more than a lot of uh, countries, you know, uh, <laughs> make in a year. Like the the their uh, <laughs> their budget, you know. It's like holy shit, twenty five billion dollars. That you could fund like several militaries with twenty five billion dollars. I mean, that's just fucking insane. And here it says about Amado Carrillo Fuentes. Mexican drug lord who overtook the Juarez cartel after he personally assassinated the former leader, Rafael Aguilar Gallardo. Amado was known as the Lord of the Skies as he had 27 Boeing 727 jets that flew regularly regularly into the United States carrying cocaine. <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> I was trying to say it. Hola, like Espanol, but cocaine. We'll just say it with my gringo. Uh... My gringo, uh, speak, yeah, English. <laughs> I, I swear I know how to speak it. Um, it is estimated that he was worth $25 billion at one point, making him one of the richest drug lords ever. As various governments began to try and catch Amato, he opted to get plastic surgery on his face to change his appearance. During the operation, he died. However, there are a few conspiracy theories out there that suggest that he is still alive which they lead you to believe for dramatic effect at the end of spoiler alert. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but they kind of play into that conspiracy that perhaps Amado did uh, make it off to Chile to live with his uh, girlfriend uh, from Cuba, uh, Havana, Havana, Cuba. And uh, apparently, too, though, uh, this, from what I understand, is a fact. Okay, he died while getting liposuction and plastic surgery. Uh, the Red Bulls like starting to wear off. I think I'm like slurring the words together somehow. Um, liposuction and plastic surgery to again hide his face, which really there's not that many photos of Mato around. Like he was low key up until like there was some big uh, drug cartel wars. Like, he managed to stay out of the spotlight for a long time. But, of course, once the world knew who the fuck he was, he had to, like, get the fuck out of Dodge. And, uh, supposedly, well, I guess it's pretty well established that it's a record that, um, the plastic surgeon that worked on Amato when uh, he passed away, and I guess two people that were working with him were murdered by the drug cartel after the fact. 
Now, some say that perhaps it's because they, you know, he died while they were uh, operating on him, which got <laughs> got them killed because they the cartel thought maybe they did it on purpose or just doing it in retaliation in general for the fact that he died while they were working on him. But then there's the thought that perhaps they were murdered to hide the fact that it was not actually a model and that it was uh, a bit of a body double that they put in there. to uh, And then his, his corpse like ended up disappearing, all kinds of stuff. The only like picture of his, the DEA released a, a picture of his body in a casket. And it looks, I mean, it was not well-preserved. It was... Uh, it looks like zombie movies like in the 70s. Like early George Romero stuff. I'm talking like 70s, 80s shit. Like, uh, well, I guess it'd be about the 80s, but like uh, Dawn of the Dead. Like the original Dawn of the Dead. Not the Ving Rhames one with the Ving Rhames in it, but I'm talking about Romero's first Dawn of the Dead. It looks a lot like the zombies in there. That's what fucking Amado's corpses looks like in these pictures if you look it up. So, I mean, <laughs> to say with the, the body already decomposed like that, that, oh, that's totally a motto. That could be anybody. Once the there's been that much decomposition to go over a photo, I can see why some conspiracy theories would be out there over that. Um, <laughs> however, uh, yeah. So, the, so, I'm saying it's possible. I'm going to say highly unlikely at this point because that was uh, 1997 that uh, he, he died or appeared to die. But I would imagine $25 billion would, uh, if you're going to disappear, <laughs> that's the kind of money that you could disappear with. And he wasn't like a very outgoing guy anyway, as far as like he wasn't going around like Bruce Wayne lifestyle. He wasn't uh, <laughs> fucking every Playboy Playmate or anything like that. He kept apparently real low-key. So for... It would if somebody could do it. There's somebody that could fucking disappear off the face of the earth. However, I'm going to say still highly unlikely. Uh, it would you know somebody like that being like their face, his face at the time, I understand was plastered all over the fucking news and shit. People knew uh, what he looked like and uh, feel like there was a good chance somebody would narc on him to like save themselves if somebody knew he was alive. And they were facing, like, real long prison sentence and stuff. And he's not out there, you know, ahead of the cartel anymore. Good chance somebody's going to flip, give him a motto. But, uh, anywho, I guess some some Nazi war criminals managed to survive the noose after World War II. So, why not a drug lord, too? Um, number one, of course, on this list is Pablo Escobar with his estimated net worth being $30 billion at the time of the height of the Medellin cartel. Pablo Escobar, easily the most notorious and richest drug lord that ever lived. He was the focal member and founder of the Medellin cartel and was one of the wealthiest criminals in history. During the height of the Medellin cartel and his empire, it was estimated that Pablo supplied supplied 80% of the cocaine sold to the U.S. and the cartel is bringing in over $60 million every fucking day when he was live he was one of the richest individuals in the entire world he fought extremely hard and violently against the Colombian government during the 70s 80s and the 90s 
and essentially was waging a war. Escobar was eventually killed during a raid in 93, leaving behind a notorious legacy. That's some crazy shit. I mean, if you haven't seen fucking Narcos, man, I don't know how close it gets to reality. It's a fucking entertaining show, though. Regardless. I mean, it's definitely most of the characters in the show in uh, both iterations of uh, just Narcos or Narcos Mexico. But damn, it's a it's good shit. Good shit. Uh, damn, man. Just looking at Amado, man. He died at age 40. Mexico City. He died at my age. He accomplished a lot more. I'm not going to say he was a better person than me. I feel like it's the fact that I haven't, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, put hits out on 400 people. Uh, that buys me some, uh, you know, <laughs> good karma. I don't know. Uh, not saying I'm a fucking saint. I'm not like saving homeless people or. Uh, you know, children, uh, starving children and such. Uh, you know, occasionally I might give like 10 or $20 to a charity like St. Jude's or something, but let's be, let's be real. I'm not a philanthropist over here, but I'm also not a savage drug Lord, uh, killing people. Like it's like I'm fucking ordering coffee. Ah, good old Red Bull. Oh, I do I do have some other fuel in me though. I got some sweet tarts, ropes, cherry punch flavored. Not bad. Not bad. I I'm definitely a lot more alert though now than I was pre podcast, whereas I might I don't know, I might have had like four hours of sleep last night. It was <laughs> just wasn't wasn't uh real tired. And it was uh it was getting late and uh shit happens, you know. I had things to accomplish, Call of Duty Vanguard. And I got it sit I it, I grinded out. I got me a gold camo for the MP40 on there. I don't know if it was worth all the time I put in. I grinded out a lot. I had a day off on Tuesday. <laughs> Which I'm going to say if you're just going to use up your vacation time and take days like during the middle of the week, man, Tuesdays are like one of the worst days to like decide to take off. Cause it's like you got two Mondays in a week because I worked Monday. I was off Saturday and Sunday. Got a nice two day weekend there. I come back in Monday and then I'm off the next day and then I'm right back to work. It was like <laughs> having two Mondays. You're like, ah, oh, fuck man. Fuck. Time really drags when you do that. I don't recommend taking off Tuesdays. Unless you got something you have to do on a Tuesday. Uh, don't do it, man. Don't do it. Or just take off Monday as well. Give yourself a nice long weekend. I was just trying to waste some vacation time. That wasn't really a... There wasn't anybody else scheduled off that day. It was convenient, I guess. But in hindsight, it really made the week seem way longer <laughs> than if I would have worked all five days. Or, well... Five days. I was going to say, or the, if I work Saturday and work six, but no, we'll, we'll just go with five days. Six days a week's rough, man. <laughs> it's, it's rough. Uh, but Vanguard, I still haven't rocked the campaign at all, but I'm getting, I guess, a little bit better with like KDR and such on the multiplayer uh, side of that. I've gotten to first prestige already. Again, I've grinded out like a mofo. 
And uh, it does seem like at times that I think maybe some people are hacking. I know that there are already hackers involved. It doesn't seem as bad yet as, say, Cold War. Um, But there's definitely times where I'm, I'm really questioning, like, is that guy cheating or are they really just on fucking fire? Are they in fuego? Sometimes it just seems like <laughs> you just like die immediately after every time you spawn, which is one of the biggest problems with the multiplayer currently as Vanguard speaks. Not so much cheating per se, but the fact that the spawns are really screwed up at the moment. Especially on the smaller stages, like uh, the World at War stage, the Dome, which I really love that stage, and it looks so fucking awesome on Vanguard. I mean... It's just such a world of difference as far as look and feel compared to World of War, and that's like my favorite COD. But when you spawn on that map, <laughs> it gets really fucking crazy. They will spawn you right in front of the enemy. Like your back is to the enemy. They can see you right in front of you. All they, As soon as you spawn, bam, you're dead. There's doesn't matter how good of a fucking player you are. They do that, and somebody's got a gun on you, like, immediately. You're not, I mean, you're dead. It's like, holy shit. It gets it gets a tad on the annoying side. That is, I would say, definitely the worst part about Vanguard. Hopefully they straighten that out soon, get that patched up, fix that shit, because that, that's absurd. And if you're going for a high KDR, man, well, kill-death ratio, or... <laughs> EDR, I guess, as they call it now, because you can't call it kill. You got to call it elimination. <laughs> Yet, you can't use the word kill. They still say kill streak. I don't, they don't say elimination streak. But for some reason, kill death ratio is wrong. You got to say elimination death ratio. Death is still fine. <laughs> and they'll blow up the fucking bodies. Like, they will just fucking disintegrate the bodies. That's fine. Using the word kill and kill-death ratio. Apparently, that's not PC. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know why they chose that line to, to, you know, put their feet down. Don't cross that line. For years, KDR was acceptable. And it's hard for me to just think, like, not... Say kill death ratio or KDR, but yet that's that's how it is, man. That's how it is. And uh, I think I will jump on some Vanguard after this, though, and try to rock out some more operators. Work on grinding those out, finish them out. I'm close to complete leveling up my second operator, and once I get like an operator in each group then I can really start unlocking some better skins. So that's exciting. I did hear rumor in the rumor mill that possibly with Vanguard, you're going to have more now uh, chances to unlock more skins via challenges on Vanguard, like unlocking like gold camos, which you could do in uh, some previous Call of Duties, which... I think, I don't know, it was Ghosts or Infinite Warfare. 
one of the ones I, I kind of, when I was burnt out on COD, and I kind of checked out on, apparently they had some gold camos. But I think it would be great to go all gold. Although I feel like maybe that's not the best idea, is to wear something bright and flashy to where you stick out to the enemy, because that could, that'd be like aim assist almost, when you just see the shiny object. Shoot the shiny object. I feel like maybe I should start really maybe more concerning with the shades and tones that might hide myself on each level, which unfortunately you can't change your operator per like loadout or anything, which I think would be awesome if you could, because each operator has their own strong suit as far as like they've got uh, their own favorite gun. And if you use that gun on that operator, you get more, more XP for the operator and more XP for that gun. So it uh, really makes a big difference when you want to level shit up. But I feel like it'd be really beneficial if each loadout, you could decide which operator is used with that loadout, which I believe, well, yeah, I guess I'm pretty sure that's how that worked on World War II. Uh, Not World of War, but the World War II uh, COD. I'm pretty sure that's how that worked on that one. It's been a minute since I played that one, but something like that as far as the loadout, I wish the operator could be tied to that loadout it would make leveling up so much easier because certain levels you don't want to use like a STG or a sniper rifle you want to use the combat shotgun but then it's like you're not getting that extra XP if you're not using the right operator I feel like they should work on that maybe do a patch mirror here uh, sledgehammer work on it sledge sledge Sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah, that was me trying to do the song Sledgehammer. It wasn't work- great. It wasn't great. But it does remind me of the fact that there was an awesome 80s TV show called Sledgehammer. And I don't know if it's streaming on anything now, but it was uh, like a spoof on cop shows. <laughs> and man, it was great. Let's see if it's streaming anywhere. Oh, shit. Is it on Showtime? Um, no. Here we go. TVGuide.com. Sledgehammer. Uh. Oh, shit. This is good stuff. It says, uh, bizarre. Uh, this is what they have to say about it. It was on from 86 to 88. There was two seasons of it. It seemed like it was longer. Uh, Shelly and I used to watch the shit out of that show. It's fantastic. It's a bizarre tough cop satire about lawman Sledge Hammer, whose best friend is a forty-four Magnum. It was basically like a spoof on like Dirty Harry, uh, which he talks to even in bed. A spoof of yeah, Dirty Harry with a get smart feel delivers smart twists on pop culture, including Elvis impersonators and good sight gags, all backed by flawless timing of star David Rash. Oh. Sledgehammer. Good stuff. Cheesy 80s shit. It was around the same time as uh, Max Headroom. If you uh, were a child in the 80s, you probably know what the fuck I'm talking about. But uh, <laughs> I think Max Headroom was early early versions of uh, the metaverse, <laughs> as it were. Uh, but I think I'm good here. Is uh, 
need to really wrap things up as uh, I do have to go to a funeral at some point in time tomorrow. Should probably get some rest tonight. And, of course, I do need to get some cot action in so I don't get rusty. So, uh, yeah, as always, that is a kid in a wheelchair, not a trash can.